From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home. My name is Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show. Congratulations, you found us. Uh, I'm going to be totally upfront here, and, and I haven't figured this out, uh, but for some reason, ticket sales for Follow the Truth, The Conspiracy Show Summit, which is coming up fast, Sunday, November the 16th, they're really lagging. We're not selling the tickets the way we thought we would. And I am bringing the top people in the world... Uh, in to talk about UFOs and time travel and past lives, Rendlesham Forest and, and Rollin Crop Circles and the pyramids. So if you're thinking of going, you better order soon. Or, quite frankly, we may just have to pull the plug on this thing. I don't know what's going on. Maybe the, the men in black have hijacked everyone at the box office at the Regent Theater in Oshawa. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it is what it is, right? But listen, it's an all-day conference. And for just $100, that's a great value. Plus, if you use the code word ROSWELL, you get 25% off the ticket price. So please, call tomorrow. Call 905-721-3399. 905-721-3399. Or visit Roswell, or sorry, visit uh, followthetruth.tv. Maybe that's the problem. I can't get the website straight. <laughs> followthetruth.tv. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a lot of astrologers on this program. Occasionally, I'll have an intuitive, someone like Douglas James Cottrell. Uh, I think psychic abilities exist. They're real. But there's there are very few gifted people, and I would, I would count Douglas among them, no doubt. But I've always wondered if there's some common denominator that these intuitives and astrologers and remote viewers are tapping into to get their information. My next guest actually started wondering that question several decades ago. And after years of researching this with his partner, he developed a very sophisticated predictive tool called Time Tracks. And that's where we're headed for the next 45 minutes or so. It's called the Merlin Project. And I'm going to give you some contact info right now. I'm going to front end this because we may run out of time. You might want to get a hold of the Merlin Project after hearing this. The number 305 682 Merlinproject at gmail.com. Merlin, like the wizard, project at gmail.com. Paul Garcia was a nationally respected futurist and a longtime student of traditional and esoteric predictive systems. His 25 uh, 25 years of research into the psychical sciences and subsequent collaboration with Dr. George Hart directly resulted in the creation of the Merlin Project, and his clients include many prominent business people, politicians, and celebrities. Paul Garcio, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm good, Richard. How are you? Very well, thank you. It's been a while. You know, I I have not had a chance to listen back to our last outing, so I... I can't really keep you guys uh, up to speed on what what we predicted and whether it happens. Well, I'll tell you what, and if people want to want to go back and listen to that first interview, because that will give them sort of the nuts and bolts to understand how time tracks work. And that, if they go back into the archives, that's May twenty sixth, twenty thirteen. Now we spent a lot of time uh, in that hour, Paul, just dis- just discussing what time tracks are, how they work. I don't want to spend a lot of time doing it now because that show is, you know, it's extant and people can go there. But let's just spend a couple minutes, just refresh uh, some memories as to what time tracks are, how they work, and then we'll get into the meat. Well, 
my experience with this really started back in the late 60s, and I studied, uh, you know, seriously studied a lot of what we call mystical systems, you know, tarot and astrology and numerology and Ouija boards and you name it, and I spent time studying it. So I know the, 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 you know, the basics of all of those things. And one of the things that I noticed in the process of doing that study was that all of these systems have a similar baseline uh, that that is time-related. Uh, so uh, the Egyptians and the Sumerians and the North American Indian and so on uh, all came up with ways of describing time uh, that we don't largely pay attention to. So we, we, you know, we look at clocks on the wall and calendars and those kinds of things, but that's not time. That's sort of sort of bookkeeping. Right. Um, right. There are intervals of time uh, I found that are meaningful intervals uh, that come along every so often, and events follow those timelines. So when you hear a news story, for instance, and you hear them say, you know, that this started seven years ago. Well, seven years ago is not one of those intervals of time that we pay any attention to, except when we hear it, you know, related in a news story. We are sort of base 10 uh, involved. So, you know, 10th anniversaries and 25ths and 50ths and so on, that kind of thing. That's what we pay attention to. But those increments of time are not meaningful in the larger sense of things. No, no. Um, and what I noticed in studying, you know, the... The, uh, the the forecasting capabilities of the of, of earlier civilizations, I noticed that they had discovered that there were increments of time not not those, but others. Uh, you know, nine months, which is the human gestation period, and and two years, and seven and a half years, and sure, like the uh, Mayans. How many clocks 21. or calendars did the Mayans have? Like eight That's or nine true. of them. That's right, and and. Uh, it occurred to me that what they must have done was they must have noticed that events came in cyclic periods, so that every so many years there was a, there was a repeat of some of the circumstances uh, that had occurred seven years before or 21 years before and so on. It's, it's, it's where we get things like the seven-year itch and the seven days of creation and, and where we get stuff like the uh, statute of limitations, which is seven years, and uh, where we get, uh, you know, if you break a mirror, you get seven years of bad luck. Right, right. Uh, so these are where cycles, did, where, cycles. Where did, they, where did those things come from? And, and, and if they are unique to certain repeating patterns of events, isn't there perhaps some way to, to collate those and turn them into a kind of clock? Well, back in the, in the 70s and 80s, I came up with manual ways of doing some of that. And uh, on a radio show in Boston at the end of the 80s, uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to have as a listener that night uh, a, a, an MIT physicist who actually holds the patent for the laser uh, that's used in LASIK eye surgery. So those of you listeners who've had, you know, eye surgery, LASIK eye surgery done, uh, are benefiting from the efforts of this physicist. His name is George Hart. 
and George was a regular listener to the radio show that I was on that night uh, in uh, late 88 uh, out of Boston on a 50KW, and uh, that's kilowatts. That's large station for people that don't know. Uh, <laughs> the, big, the big station. That's right, the blowtorch, okay. just, like right. just like that's this one, just like this one. That's right. And uh, he was listening and had, had been listening to this fellow uh, who hosted that show for years, but somehow or other, even though I was a regular on that show, I was on maybe as often as three or four times a year. I had even guest hosted the show. Uh, he had never heard me before. And what I was doing was laying out a premise on how time works, that there's orchestrated intervals of time and that events happened uh, in those orchestrated intervals. Well, he called me up and wanted to get together and discuss this. He actually wanted to see what I had to, to show him about this. And that was uh, in uh, the, the spring and winter and spring of, of 1989, so we're talking 25 years ago. Um, and uh, that relationship developed into a, into a research organization called the Merlin Project. And uh, Dr. Hart and I have been uh, been involved in research uh, with Merlin now for uh, a little over 25 years. Uh, we've been regulars on National Public Radio and NBC Nightly News. Uh, you sometimes guest host uh, Coast to Coast. We've been there. We were regulars there. Right. What 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 Merlin essentially does is it turns time intervals of time into a kind of musical score so that uh, if you measure time from any particular instant forward or even backward but forward especially you're going to get a set of uh, time intervals which are going to allow you to make predictions because in those time intervals we have uh, incorporated all of these uh, time frames that the ancients had noticed, we've turned them into into like a kind of clock or, as I said, a, a musical score. And each one is different. So, in other words, if you measure time from a particular instant forward, you're going to get a graphic of where the highs and lows, the, the, essentially the change points, uh, where those are going to be located in time going into the future. And what we've developed is a graphic. Actually, we've recently released a, uh, an, a smartphone app, which is available if you happen to have a smartphone, you have an iPhone, you have an uh, a, uh, Android, or, or the iPads and the, and the Android tablets, uh, usable on those as well. And instead of believing this or disbelieving it, uh, you can actually, you know, uh, uh, acquire this app and try it out for yourself. And what you'll find is that if you measure time from the moment you arrived, um, you will see these mountain ranges occurring every so often. And those mountain ranges on the graphics will coincide with periods in your life when there was a gigantic cluster of change going on. It's when you got married, it's when you got divorced or had kids or lost parents or started a career that lasted 20 or 30 years. Uh, and you'll see this in terms of high levels of activity on the graph, which is basically designed to follow the, the plot of time 
as measured from the moment you arrived. All right, listen, we're, we're going to go into a break here, Paul. So when we come back, let's run some current geopolitical events through these time tracks and let's find out what's going on with things like the Ebola outbreak and, and uh, the ISIL uh, uh, marauders uh, rampaging across the Middle East. What's in store? Paul Gersio is with us from Project Merlin and it's projectmerlin.com and timetracks.org. Tracks spelled T-R-A-K-S, timetracks.org. Back with more of my conversation with Paul right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Paul Garcia is with us. Projectmerlin.com, timetracks.org. And uh, towards the end of the hour, he'll, he'll tell you how you can uh, download that Time Tracks uh, app onto your uh, your iPhone or what uh, your uh, your smartphone or what have you, and you can run some time tracks of your own. All right, so we've got a basic understanding of how these work. Let's talk about uh, the Ebola outbreak. And you had, of course, patient zero in the United States uh, who, who recently passed in uh, Dallas. Uh, so, do we need to be concerned based on the time tracks of you know, more of these uh, uh, patients arriving, perhaps even a cluster or two, a cluster or two developing in the United States. Well, here's how you do it. Um, when we when we run these time tracks, we need a starting moment. And in the case of Ebola in the United States, our starting moment is with the diagnosis of patient zero who just died in Dallas. Uh, it was September 30th, uh, 2014. Uh, I don't know what the time was, but we'd probably start that one at midnight because we don't know what the time was. And what you see when you run that and what your listeners would see if they downloaded this Time Tracks app is that they would notice that there's some activity uh, over the course of the next six months, but it's diminishing activity. It's, it's dropping off. The, the graphic, for instance, the, the graph of activity is progressing uh, to the point where it, it essentially vanishes uh, around the middle to late spring of the, the coming year. So in 2015, by about, say, May, uh, give or take a month or so, uh, the, uh, the effect of this epidemic would diminish to the point where it was no longer uh, occurring in the United States because that's the beginning moment that we have to work with, we would work with, with patient zero. And when he was first diagnosed, all of the other diagnoses so far uh, that, that where patients were actually transported to the States, uh, they were diagnosed in, in Africa. Uh, we knew that they were coming here with Ebola when they flew here to go and get medical attention. This one person, this Dallas person um, was diagnosed uh, after he got here so he would be patient one essentially patient zero um, and if you run that date September 30th 2014 and you look to see what the graph is doing it, it's a, if you thought of these graphs as being a little bit like musical scores uh, it's the end of the song uh, the song is, is 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 quieting down. Last last few stanzas of the song uh, occurring through perhaps April or May of next year, and then no song. So 
at least as far as Merlin is concerned, there isn't going to be an epidemic in the United States, uh, at least uh, as occurring uh, with this patient zero. Um, my hunch is that if we find uh, a new patient zero, that is somebody developing this with no uh, apparent connection to the uh, to the epidemic that's going on in Africa, we would have to reset the clock. But well, that's exactly my, that was my, my question. What happens, question. <laughs> what if we get a new patient zero? Or what if well, someone is diagnosed in, I'm, I'm, in Africa and somehow makes it to the United States? Well, if they knew it in Africa and he got to the United States, they would have known it in Africa. So he would not be, he would not be a patient zero here. Uh, I'm talking about uh, patients, I'm talking about people here where there's no clear connection to the African epidemic going on. Now, obviously that has to be, okay, because we don't have Ebola in the United States and nobody's going to be catching Ebola here uh, out of the clear blue sky. So there would probably have to be some connection, but without knowing that, if it appeared that we had a patient, a new patient, zero, then we'd have to reset the clock and see what that looks like. But even then, what's curious about Merlin is if the beginning looks like it's going nowhere, then there's really nothing along the way that changes that. So if we got a new patient zero, it would also be tapering off uh, like this, the actual patient zero was. And we would again see something that's not going to turn into a real epidemic. On the other hand, um, as I mentioned to you earlier uh, when we were chatting about this before we got on, a uh, hundred years ago, in the in the in the the years beginning about uh, 1916, 17, in there, and especially uh, 1918, there was this Spanish flu uh, that uh, uh, that decimated populations. There were about 20 million victims, or 25 million victims uh, of that of that. Uh, in, incident, and uh, that is a hundred years ago. And what's interesting is, patient zero in Europe is a Spaniard. Interesting, okay. yes, the a Spanish woman. flu revisited. <laughs> exactly. Well, see, there's and and by the way, this, the starting date for this fellow in Texas was September 30th. The starting date for this woman in Spain is several days later. Uh, I think it's it's uh, uh, it's more like the fourth or fifth um, that that she was diagnosed, and she was not diagnosed until she got to Spain. So she wasn't diagnosed ahead of time in in Africa, and then shipped to Spain. Uh, she was diagnosed when she got there, and so she would be a European patient zero um, at, with a different time track entirely, and the possibility that they would be a much more uh, pronounced epidemic in, in Europe than there would be here. Now, it'll be interesting to see if that actually happens. We've, we've gotten much better in terms of the medical community handling these kinds of things. I'm, I've been very impressed with watching what the CDC is doing, uh, although uh, a, a black person in Texas didn't get treated the way uh, they might have been had they not been a black person in Texas. Right. Have you uh, run the time tracks on this Spanish nurse, Paul? 
Uh, I have to look up the, the actual time when she was diagnosed and make absolutely sure that she was not previously diagnosed in Africa. If I'm satisfied that she didn't get diagnosed until she got to Spain, then I can run that. So I, I honestly haven't run it yet because I haven't found out what that starting moment was. Um, and uh, I've, I've looked, but sometimes these things are hard to, to, to establish because nobody pays attention to this. Okay, time is not a factor in most events as far as people are concerned. Time doesn't have anything to do with any kind of causal or, uh, or uh, definitive involvement. Uh, you, you, we look at time basically in, in our lives as an abstraction. Right. We don't think of it in terms of being uh, involved in some way in the actual uh, you know, timetable of future events. That's what George and I have discovered with this, with this technology that we've been using, is that everything has a timetable. Everything has a cycle. Uh, That's right. Everything has, it's, it's almost as though there's a merry-go-round going, around, going on, and we jump aboard that merry-go-round whenever we jump aboard it, and there's going to be a certain length of time before you get to the brass ring, depending upon when you jumped on the moving, you know, the moving cycle. So... You know, if you jump on a merry-go-round, you may come up to the brass ring immediately after you get on. On the other hand, you may have just passed it, and you've got to go all the way around to get to it again. So it's a little bit like that. And uh, if, if the time sequence is, uh, is running at a different rate or running at a, at a different, in a different pattern, uh, where you hop aboard the ongoing cycle changes the timetable of the events right that's that's a, that's why for instance when we when we look at um uh moments of time uh we can give you an idea of what the repeating pattern is going to be but you can hop aboard the cycle and and have you know uh, weeks or months only until until you hit a transition spot on the other hand you can hop on uh, a couple of minutes or, la- or weeks or months later only and have years upon years before you get to that first transition spot. Right. I, I so, read recently, uh, and you know, people love to malign uh, President, uh, the former President Herbert Hoover, of course, because he presided over, you know, some of the worst uh, uh, economic years in, in American history. But uh, President Hoover was fascinated by, he actually founded a, a, a center to study cycles. And so, you know, this is going back into the, 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 the 20s and early 30s. So b- back then they were, you know, uh, obviously not sophisticated, as sophisticated uh, about it as, as which, with, with, with you, what you're doing. But they were, they knew then. And I'm wondering, you know, is this how fortunes were made, these elites that, that uh, almost inexplicably amassed these huge fortunes? Did, did, they, did they have knowledge of these well, cycles and take advantage what, of them? I'm, some may have. Okay. Some may have. Because if you go to a gifted astrologer, for instance, and I'm not suggesting that there are a lot of those out there. There are people sort of that fool around with it, but they don't understand the mechanisms really, and they still haven't done any real research, so they don't know. But there are some gifted people out there who have discovered that what, what George and I have essentially put together here is a kind of, uh, you might think of it as applied astronomy. 
um, because what we found is that you can measure these intervals by watching planetary cycles because the several of the planetary cycles out there uh, mirror some of this and that shouldn't be a big surprise to us because time in our in our existence is measured by planetary cycles earth around uh, the sun earth on its axis moon around the earth those are all those are where we get our ocean tides from and our seasons and and so on uh, we actually tell time by planetary cycles that's 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 how that's how we tell time and, and what george and i have essentially concluded is there's lots more cycles out there that have an effect on things than we pay attention to so if we turn those things into a clock um, and we took all of those cycles and we sort of collated them um, y- y- we'd be able to tell a kind of time that you and I are not essentially familiar with. It's not. It's not the clock time. It's not the the calendar time that we pay attention to. It's this other set of time cycles, which actually, when when collated, give you uh, give you some measurable in, in, increments that will allow you to forecast things. Okay. I mean, we've gotten very good at forecasting stuff like eclipses and so on. Well, why do we do that, and why is it possible? Well, it's because we live in an organized universe. Things come in measurable increments of time. And who's to say that those measurable increments aren't somehow involved in the nature of of event cycles, that event cycles aren't random like we thought they were, that they're organized. And what George and I have put together is a kind of massive clock that gives you a sense of that organized set of intervals. For instance, just to give you a, a larger idea, if you had a room uh, full of mousetraps and you loaded them up with ping-pong balls so that you had, say, 4,000 mousetraps with, with ping-pong balls on top of them, if you threw a ping-pong ball into that room, you're going to have ping-pong balls flying every, every which way. What George brought to the table here was an ability to write massive computer programs that could tell you when it would start and exactly how many would be in flight at any given moment. Right. That you would know when the maximum dynamic would be of the maximum number of them flying and how long it would take for the whole thing to quiet down to where you have one or two still flying around. Okay, i got to okay. jump in here, Paul, because we got to go to a break, but it's starting to sound like there's order even in seemingly chaotic situations. There is order. Uh, it sounds almost like the beautiful mind. Listen, uh, we'll, There's order. <laughs> we'll take uh, a time out. We'll come back. Paul Gersio from Project Merlin, timetracks.org, back with more here on The Conspiracy Show. Why don't you stay a while? Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with Paul Gersio. And we were talking about, you know, chaos, order existing even in chaos, within chaos. And you gave us this wonderful illustration of the, of the ping pong balls and, and, and so forth. Did you want to uh, elaborate on that before we move on to another uh, time track? I'll, t- I'll give you, I'll give you a, a very meaningful example that's worth paying attention to. This, this iron dome that the Israelis have set up to, uh, to, to uh, uh, knock out incoming missiles, right. and knowing which ones are real missiles and which ones are sort of bogeys and so on. Well, that 
Iron Dome came out of research that Dr. Hart did for the Defense Department in in the old SDI program that, that Ronald Reagan cooked up back in the early 80s. Okay, George was working on that program from 83 when it started, uh, on and off through into the period we're, we're in now, uh, although not nearly as, as much because there isn't the kind of funding for it now that there was then. Uh, we were still involved in the Cold War in, in 83 when when that was first put forward. But the whole idea of that was to set up a, 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 a shield, uh, the ability to detect incoming uh, of missiles, and since we now have missiles with multiple warheads and so on, um, uh, some of those are not live and some of them are, and the trick is knowing which are which. Well, that's what George was doing uh, for the Pentagon. He was writing... Uh, programs so that they were able to detect which which warheads were worth you know going after and which ones should should be left alone. You couldn't go after all of them. You'd have to know which ones were the right ones to go after. Well, that's that was the technology that George was working on for the Pentagon for a number of years with the highest security clearances. In fact, we were worried. Uh, at various points in this project that they were going to find out what we were doing <laughs> and they were going to cancel his security clearance. Because <laughs> it was like, what are you doing, this crazy stuff? Well, um, given your track record, Paul, do you get do you get called in uh, by the Joint Chiefs or, or, or uh, you're CIA? Like my, you're not going to like my answer to this. Okay. In 1995... In April, we got a phone call from a unit of the Joint Chiefs called the Joint War Fighting Center that was located in Fort Monroe, Virginia. And a lieutenant colonel called us. And we thought at the, initially that he had seen us on Larry King because we were regulars on Larry King's CNN show uh, for years, for a number of years. And we thought he just wanted some information for himself. So knowing that he was a, a, a Pentagon guy, I turned him on to George because they speak Pentagonese and I don't. Um, and so George talked to him for an hour or so and found out that this guy had contacted us because he'd been instructed to do that by uh, his commanding officer, what he referred to as flag officers. Well, George never ran across that term before, and I certainly didn't know what it was. So George was working for a think tank out of D.C., and he called up the D.C. office, and he said, you know, what are flag officers? And he was told that flag officers are two-star generals and above. Mm, yeah, these are the big monkey mucks, yep. Okay. So we had, we had received an inquiry from the two-star general level at the Pentagon, and they wanted to know what we were up to. So we put together a, a, a study of uh, what we were doing, and we used domestic terrorism as the time model. And the time model we picked was the only one we could think of where we were attacked from outside the country by, by a foreign uh, uh, source, and the only one we could think of was the first World Trade Center bombing in 1993. So that was what we used as our time model for these time tracks. Never, never thinking that they would come back and finish the job. And what we did was we came up with a set of graphics that indicated that around the turn of the century, 
probably into 2000, late 2000 or 2001, there was going to be a big uptick in domestic terrorism. And we filed this report with the Pentagon people um, in July of that year. That was 1995. And never heard another word. Now I thought we were going to—I I thought we were golden at this point because you know, oh, the Pentagon's gotten in touch with us. Sure, and George, sure. Had, George had originally told me, "Don't, don't count on any of the intelligence agencies or any of those people to look us up because they just won't, and we can't go and knock on their door because they won't pay any attention to us." I got about thirty they, seconds here, Paul. Here before they, we break. Here they had, here they had done that. We provided them with a report, forty copies of the report that were sitting in the file drawers at the Pentagon when the plane hit the building. Mm, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I've seen that movie before. I know yeah. how it ends. All right, listen, we'll uh, take another time out. We'll come back, and let's get some time tracks going on uh, ISIL, this scourge that is rampaging across the Mideast. Paul Garcia from Project Merlin, projectmerlin.com, time tracks. Org. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serra. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, uh, Paul, is, is the Pentagon taking you seriously now? Well, let me just finish that story. The, uh, I had, when I found out that they had looked this up, I was all excited. George said, don't, don't get excited. I said, why? He said, well, you don't know how the Pentagon works. I said, okay, so how does the Pentagon work? He said, well, they cycle these people, like the guy that got in touch with us, in and out of these jobs about every 18 to 24 months. So by the time we get this thing to them, there will probably be some new guy in that job who won't know anything about it at all, and we'll have to try and explain to him why the previous guy even asked for this report he said, one of the things as a Pentagon contractor that we have to deal with all the time is spending about 75% of our time instructing the new person in that job to what the old person already knew. And he said, that ties up contractors to the Pentagon. About 75% of their work workload is spent trying to convince the new guy of what the old guy had decided was worth looking into, they don't stay in those jobs long enough to carry the information forward. So by the time we filed the report about about where we saw the uptick in, in, in terrorism, which pictured basically, graphically, what we now call 9-11, okay, they were all new people at the Pentagon and all they did with the report was stick it in a file drawer someplace, all 40 copies of it, and never took, never took it seriously and never did anything about it. And by and large, that's still true. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what about the other intel agencies? Well, we, we, the dealings we've had with, with, with the government are basically uh, Pentagon-related. One of my uh, clients, uh, current clients, uh, is uh, a former U.S. Secretary of Defense. Um, and I've had him as a client since he was a congressman from Maine back in the 70s um, and actually told him at one point that if he ran for senator, he would win. And, and then he sort of went up the 
the, the, the chain of command here. He went from being a U.S. senator, uh, a congressman to U.S. senator to secretary of defense. Um, and uh, uh, even he had no answer to why it is that things like that get shoved in drawers and don't get paid attention to. Mm. As best he could explain it to me is they try and cover all the bases by looking into anything that looks like it might be useful, but the problem is that that management or industrial sort of mentality and, and memory does not get carried along in the organization uh, unless the individual who requested it originally moves up in rank and, want, and, can, and puts, puts continuing time into, into looking into that, and that most of the time does not happen. So uh, the, the, the government, the Defense Department, and the intelligence agencies look into a lot of things, like, uh, like DARPA, for instance, uh, looks into all kinds of odd stuff, uh, but, and even throws money at it sometimes. Uh, like, for instance, uh, remote viewing is one of the things exactly. they were into. Right. Um, uh, but how much remote viewing has actually been used as a practical you know, device Okay, that's the problem. It it doesn't get to that stage uh, in most of the time because it, it's not understood as a as a practical method because they don't know why it works or if it works. Um, or they're embarrassed so, by it. I mean, if you talk to Russell well, Targ, that too. Yes, that yeah. too. They're embarrassed right. by it. Uh, uh, to, <laughs> this fellow who's the the former Secretary of Defense. CBS wants to do a sixty minutes piece on us. He's been. Uh, he's been sort of jerking around the last almost a year in not calling them back and discussing it, and he's been actually using this technology for, at this point, about 35 years. So he's been a client for 35 years. He knows it works. Hmm. Okay, We actually got him out of a building where a, where a, where a, a, a gunman had come in to... Uh, takes pot shots at the people in the lobby, and I, we, I, we had told them that there was a, a window of time coming up that that particular year when they better be on their on their you know best best behavior because they it was they were going to be very vulnerable. He got he got himself and his wife out of the building before this happened, and called us up to thank us for saving their lives. And you would like to think that. That kind of person would be willing to go on the record. You would think, yeah. <laughs> but you would it think didn't happen. Okay, so uh, I want to get to ISIL here in a second, but let me just ask you one quick question. Sure. And that is, in terms of the, the, the practical usage, when you see your time track, and let's say I, I enter in, you know, um, January twelfth, nineteen sixty-four, my birthday. So I'm seeing activity in September, or uh, you're, you're January twelfth, sixty-four. Yes. Is so, that really true? It is. So. And I don't throw that Whoa. out there to get you to do me a time track. But no, I'm... I don't have to because the the next three to five years, maybe even five to seven, I have to I have to look it up. And if you had that thing still on your phone, okay, <laughs> you you undoubtedly okay would have called me up months ago and said, "What is this? What is this graph doing on my on my life over the next couple of years?" Because uh, uh, this mountain range has surfaced, and uh, uh, what does it mean? I mean the, 
the people born at the earliest the, the earliest part of the year between at this point around the fourth or fifth of January up through about the twelfth or the thirteenth, which includes people like Rush Limbaugh, it includes people like Howard Stern, uh, it, I believe it also includes, um, now let me think what his name is, um, um, who, who did, who did, uh, who did uh, Bush call Turd Blossom, what was his name, what's his name? Oh. <laughs> yeah, right, you know who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, the vice president. Uh, uh, Carl Rove. Oh, Carl Rove, sorry. Carl Rove. Okay. Okay, who's born right in there, too. Have you noticed that Karl Rove has sort of vanished from the scene almost? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, when he was maybe the biggest thing around for quite a few years. Well, that's that cycle kicking in. Um, so the people who are born, uh, and you guys out there listening, you can jot this down. If you're born between, let's say, the 4th, 3rd or 4th of January and about the 13th. So that's a, about a 10-day span in January. Also in April, also in July, and that includes George Bush the 2nd, okay, uh, and also in October. Uh, those four windows, those 10 days, that 40 days out of the year uh, are among the most exotic in terms of What's going to happen in the in the three to five years or five to seven years, depending uh, for those dates? It could no be the, it could no be good, it could be bad. Is. It could That's be good, right. it could be bad. That, we don't know. That is that is correct. All right. There's no the only way you can sometimes tell is to know what happened if you're old enough. What happened the last time that happened, which would be approximately 21 years ago. So if you go back 21 years and you look at what was going on. Say between a between nineteen twenty years ago and twenty three or twenty four years ago. So that's that's roughly the window. But the actual time interval is about twenty one and a half years. Go back twenty one and a half years and look at what was going on in terms of relationships, in terms of career, in terms of uh, you know health and well being, uh, you know in terms of finances. Uh, you'll find that this window coming up just just beginning is going to have many of the same elements and often some of the same cast of characters so changes may go on in your relationship with people that surfaced in your life around that point or arrived in your life at that point uh, any way of fine-tuning that i mean are we at well, that stage there, there, yes if you were a client there's a way to fine-tune it because okay. if you're old enough I can go back to, to other intervals, and I can go back and take a look at what happened about seven years ago, and I can, and, and, and it, it, I can make projections from things you know happened at the, say, 21-and-a-half-year mark uh, ago, um, and, and, and whether some of those things that, you, that may have been problematic at that point have been corrected, um, because... The same kind of stuff doesn't go on unless you're the same person you were then. Right, right. Uh, if you're the same person you were then and what happened was problematic, I'd start looking for a place to hide out. Uh, <laughs> All right, but, now I'm going to go thumbing through my journal and say, what happened? Well, uh, it's not a bad – listen, people who keep journals and really do seriously keep them are probably the best off because if they know when to look in the past – 
and they know what the intervals of time are that have these change periods built into them, they can start to make a pretty good prediction as to at least the nature of the things that are going to surface at the next one because they're either going to be a growth spurt from the previous one or they're going to be a repetition of some of the stuff at the earlier one um, or they're going to be uh, the culmination of things that were begun at that earlier one. Okay. So, you know, as, as just as a, a client to, to a consultant, if you were a client of mine, and a lot of the people I do radio shows with are clients. Hint, <laughs> hint. They, they get, well, they get, <laughs> you, guys, you guys get, you know, side little side goodies like this and then start thinking, gee, I better call this guy. Um, uh, uh, Message I, I to won't self. mention yes. any names right off, but you know some of the people that okay. I, we do shows with. Okay. And I would say... Three quarters of the clients. We will talk no. after the show for sure. Listen, I got I, I got about a minute and a half here. Let's spend. Just give me a, a, a thumbnail of ISIL. What, what's the time track on that? Um, uh, when we did the the, uh, the Coast show in July, uh, and we may have mentioned this as far back as the show we did with you in May of of uh, 2013, somebody said to me. Well, you know, you guys hit hit 9/11 almost right on the nose. What do you see coming up? Well, if you take 9/11 as this as your starting moment, in other words, don't go back to the first World Trade Center bombing, but the but the big one, okay? And you look at some of the other major incidences of terrorism over the last say 10 or 12 years, okay? And you run those what you see is an uptick in terrorism over the next probably two to three years. Uh, maybe as serious as 9-11 or a hit like that, but certainly an uptick. And when we said that in July, that was before there was an ISIL that we ever heard of. That was before any of the beheadings were going on or, 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 or any of the the crisis situation that Obama finds himself in, in terms of figuring right. a way to go after these people. Nothing like that was even being talked about as recently as three or four months ago. Okay, so you nailed that one. Listen, we got very little time. Uh, how do people get the, the Time Track uh, app? So Google Play on the Androids, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the App Store on all the Apples. Okay, if you go, if you go to those... those you know, online uh, sellers, uh, and you do a search for time tracks, T-I-M-E-T-R-A-K-S, no C, but with an S, T-I-M-E-T-R-A-K-S, no space, okay, and it will say, buy Merlin, and it will say, George Hart, those are, the, those are your clues, okay, the trial version of this thing is 99 cents, Okay, that'll give you a week or so to play with it, and that ought to give you enough time if you paid attention uh, to what we were talking about tonight um, of how, of essentially how to use it or how it works. Okay. Um, and it's cheap. It's it's you know less than a cup of coffee to get this thing for a month, um, and uh, even beyond that, it's uh, the year I think is about twenty five dollars to to do this. All right, we're running late. Thanks to Tim Spreen and my uh, intern, Albert Vinzel, back next week with the Honorable Paul Hellier talking about the money mafia and a Google insider. Not to be missed. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>